this morning. Uh, we're grateful again for our very own David Wallace. Uh, some of you heard him speak last time, uh, but he's currently a seminary student at Austin Seminary, and he's in the middle of a minist- uh, ministry internship with Vox um, for this next year. And so we're grateful that he's going to open the scriptures up for us. So welcome, David. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's really good to see the Vox community starting to come back in person. And if you're new to Vox, welcome. Everybody's new for me at Vox. Uh, I've only been here since early September. But it's really great to feel this energy in the room. Thanks. So I thought I'd open up our talk this morning with a little survey. I was actually going to ask for a show of hands initially, but I've decided, now just, just reflect on the question. And the question is this, do any of us feel stress? Show of hands when I didn't even ask for it. Feel anxiety, feel fear. Certainly, right? All of us have. And probably even amplified emotions since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, today's scriptures come from Psalm 34, verses 1 to 8. And this psalm, uh, supposedly written by David, who eventually was the king of Israel, but not quite yet in the story, it relates from a story out of the Hebrew scriptures from 1 Samuel, chapter 21, verses 10 to 14. So he's actually reflecting back when he's writing this psalm. And so the king of Israel at the time was Saul, and he found out that, that David was going to be assuming the role over him, and there was some obvious jealousy. So David's on the lamb. He's running for uh, his protection, and he finds refuge with the Philistine king, whose royal name was Abimelech. So he's hanging out, and he's having refuge in Abimelech's camp or kingdom, and they realized who he was. So all of a sudden, he moved from being a refuge to being a detainee because they recognized that he had... The, you know, he was a valuable hostage. So he started acting I know, kind of all nuts, and he let drool, drool run down his face, and he was able to secure his release because Abimelech thought he was not in his right mind. So if we only had the biblical account in Samuel, we would think that this crisis was overcome by David's astuteness, his cleverness to figure out a way out, right? But on deeper reflection, since he wrote the psalm after that event, As he shares in the psalm, this was not at all so. So the secret to his escape was that he sought God in verse 4. And his soul cried out and was heard by the Lord in verse 6. So David's cleverness did not free him from his anxiety and fear. He did nothing on his own. Rather, he was freed from all of his fears And in verse 6, he was saved from every trouble. See, these verbs are written in the passive voice, the passive voice suggesting actions that are done to us instead of what we do by someone or something else. In this case, it was God that freed him and saved him. But what did David actively do? He prayed. He prayed. To be honest, I have not been very good at prayer in my life. I grew up in the Catholic tradition, and going to parochial school, I memorized lots of prayers. Classics are the Lord's Prayer, which we say here at Vox, the Hail Mary, the Act of Contrition, the Creeds. And I remember one day walking into my religion class in parochial school, and Sister Mary Louise was holding a rosary, and I just went, oh, man, 
we're going to say the rosary today. That's 50 Hail Marys and 10 Lord's Prayers. I'm just taking a moment because I'm sure the spirit of Sister Mary Louise is here, and she's probably not very happy, but I loved her. I loved her. But prayer at that time in my life was something that I had to do instead of something that I get to do. I didn't see prayer as relating to God. I never thought I could have a conversation with God like two people in a meaningful relationship. So growing up, God was out there, distant, keeping score and waiting for me to screw up, which I'm sure that scorecard is not pretty. But with maturity and a maturing faith, I soon began to understand prayer as relationship. I was interested to know how prayer was defined, so I went to our trusty, go- trusty source, Google, and I came up with these definitions of prayer. Prayer is communion with God, communion with God. It is the closest, most intimate relationship with the Creator that we can have. Prayer is a very simple thing. It's communication with God. Though it's often directed heavenward from us to God, the reverse is also true. Therefore, prayer is not a mere repetition of words or a position of the body or something that we do to participate in in a faith community. Prayer is the human heart before its maker. It is appropriate any time, and ideally all the time. Prayer is the practice of the presence of God, the practice of the presence of God. It is the place where pride is abandoned, hope is lifted, and supplication is made. Prayer is the place of admitting our need, of adopting humility, and claiming dependence on God. Prayer is the needful practice for the Christian. Prayer is the exercise of faith and hope. So isn't that exactly what David did in the story alluded to in the psalm? He was admitting his need, adopting humility, and claiming his dependence on God. In verse 2, when he said, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Where he speaks about being humble and then admitting his need and dependence. My soul cried out, he says in verse 6, and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. See, we were taught to pray to God for various reasons, right? These include feelings of gratitude for our life and our circumstances, areas where we feel fortunate, want to give thanks, or are accepting of our situation. Prayers of petition are our request to God and the Holy Spirit for their presence and intervention in our lives and circumstances, especially for people that we know and even for people that we don't know when we pray for, like, Afghan refugees. It's our request that God send God's healing touch into the world and help change situations and help those to cope with situations they cannot change. These two types of prayer are expressed in our service during the prayers of the people, right? It's coming up here shortly. Prayers of contrition express our confessions to the ways in which we sinned, or I like to think missed the mark, or lived and behaved in ways that keep us from living in union with God and separate from our neighbors. And then there's prayers of adoration, where we want to acknowledge and glorify God for everything we are and have acknowledged God's sovereign reign over all. It announces God's complete transcendence, omnipresence, and imminence 
within us. These are expressed in the beginning of our worship, in doxology. These types of prayer come from what is known as the cataphatic tradition. In Greek, the word kata means according to, and the second part, phasis, meaning image. So this is, in Christianity, what is focused on the understandings of, of God through images. Most of Christianity after Constantine made it the official religion of the Roman Empire, concentrated the knowledge of God in specific people. A personal relationship with God was discouraged. The clergy were the ones who were the mediators between God and us. God was set totally transcendent and out of touch to us. And, they, and then later, after the Reformation, the focus became Scripture and the words of God. The age of enlightenment and reason had the theologians focusing on what could be known or said about God through images and metaphors and concepts and words. Examples were God as Father, Mother, Son, Creator, Holy Ghost, Lover, Judge, Friend, a raging storm, a burning bush, and that still small voice. All these can point towards way, ways that we can experience God in the world through the way God acts in the world. But all of them, all of them fall short of encompassing all that God is. And they lead us to imagining what God is or is like using language that often falls very short. So David was speaking back in verse 2. Let's look at it one more time. David is speaking of humble hearing, not speaking to the Lord. He describes a soul that boasts in the Lord by humbly hearing. So how do we hear? I know we typically begin the process by quieting down and making space to hear, quieting the noise, right? This is where what is known as silent prayer or contemplative prayer offers us this place. Silent prayer comes to us from what is known as the apophatic tradition of Christianity. The tradition focuses on an understanding of God beyond images, devoid of them, if you will. They were, there were Christians that recognized that while it is important to try to speak to our understandings about God by the use of language, they were also aware of the limitations of language, especially when we describe God, who is indescribable. These apophatic theologians understood that as human beings, we can only describe God through our senses, from our point of view, and thanks to Richard Rohr, our point of view is a view from a point. So silent prayer was introduced as the counterbalance to speaking about God by quieting down, surrendering, and learning to listen, too. It was not meant to replace vocal prayer by any means, but to offer us a world of prayer beyond words. In Psalm 46.10, a little later in the Psalms, states it clearly, Be still. And know that I am God. God specifically invites us to quiet down, to be still. In Romans 8.26, our apostle Paul reminded those early Christians, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This was true for me at times in my life. 
I don't know how to pray as I should. I would find myself praying for my circumstances to be changed or for life to be more favorable for me. I look back now and I call them my gimme prayers. God, give me this. God, give me that. God, if you just get me out of this situation, I'll be good. As if God was some kind of wish granter. My ego would get in the way. Maybe it has for you too. What Paul was describing is known as contemplative prayer. Belden Lane, in his book, The Solace of Fierce Landscapes, describes contemplative prayer as an ascent to God. Quieting down in silent prayer teaches us to let go, to surrender, to consent to God without all of our egos in the way of that connection. Its, a, it's goal was the wonder and simplicity of less both an exercise of language and the relinquishment of the egoic self. And Lane continues with this, God can only be met in the emptiness by those who come in love, abandoning all effort to control, every need to astound. If we stay in our personalities, we inadvertently make God in our own image instead of the other way around. And there is nothing we can do in action that can earn God's love. Our action in the world is because we learn to express that we know God loves us and we need to share it versus anything that we do to earn that love. Then what does God want from us? Our intention and attention. God is always attentive to us. We're often the ones that are absent in the craziness of life. We have become human doings, not human beings. Our Western culture is all about being productive, accomplishing, doing the next thing. Just think about it in your own life. When do we really take time to think about God and rest? Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus offered this to his followers. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So God is seeking our attention in silent prayer. We don't need to use words all the time because God already knows what we need before we ask. So remember those earlier definitions of prayer. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is the human heart before its maker. Prayer is the practice of the presence of God. It's allowing us to set aside time to be before God in communion and to be aware, mindful, if you will, of God's presence among us and within us. In returning to today's psalm, David proclaims, happy are those who take refuge in God from verse 8, and announcing that in seeking God, God answered and freed him from his fears. So I was really interested in this word refuge, so I looked it up. Refuge is defined as a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. Contemplative prayer offers us this place, this space, this gift to take refuge in God, to be sheltered, to be safe from the troubles and challenges of our lives and just be, just rest. Centering prayer is a method of meditative prayer that provides that space to learn to rest in God, to take refuge 
in God. Centering prayer allows us to eventually open to God in contemplation without the needs for words. So I have been practicing centering prayer for the last decade along with my wife, Anna. She was practicing meditative prayer for longer, but the specific method of centering prayer that Kathleen alluded to in the workshop coming up, we learned together and we adopted in our lives. At first, admittedly, there was resistance. It's the anti-activity, really. We let go of any need or desire to control, which is really the opposite of what our egos and personalities prefer. It's an activity of letting go, of learning to be present to what happens inside of us, learning how to see our thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and learning how to see them and let them go. I didn't know what the hesitation was at first. It was that fear that David described in the psalm. Slowly that hesitation let go into a wish to allow God to lead in that silence. Recently, I found this great description of the hesitation of people to silent prayer offered by Sam Keen. He says, to submit to silence in prayer is to admit that we stand naked before God without even words to cover ourselves. Words are like the fig leaves we continually grasp in the effort to clothe our nakedness. And he continues, a psychoanalysis of chatter would suggest that our over-verbalization is an effort to avoid something which is fearful, silence. But why should silence be threatening? Because the words are a way of structuring and manipulating and controlling. Thus, when they are absent, the specter of loss of control arises. If we cannot name it, we cannot control it. Naming gives us power. Hence, silence is impotence and a surrender of control. Control is power and power is safety. It is threatening to let go and let God, right? As I was going deeper into my spiritual journey, I remembered my ego wrestling with God for control. I'll do this, God, but that, I'm out. I'm tapping out. No way. We consciously want to control God. Don't we feel like we're in control of our lives at times? It's only through surrender that we realize that God's been driving all along. Through the practice of centering prayer, we become open to God's Reality, capital R, beyond our small reality, little r. Thomas Keating, one of a group of Christian leaders who was responsible for bringing contemplative prayer back into mainstream Christianity, offers this understanding of centering prayer. The purpose of centering prayer is to contribute to bringing knowledge and experience of God's love into the general consciousness of the human family. Contemplative prayer is a process of interior transformation a conversion initiated by God and leading, if we consent, to divine union. One's way of seeing reality changes in the process. A restructuring of consciousness takes place, which empowers one to perceive, relate, and respond to everyday life with increasing sensitivity to the divine presence in, through, and beyond everything that happens. That's a mouthful. That's a big statement. I think we can leave the job of transforming human consciousness to God, but allow centering prayer to offer us the refuge and rest from the dizzying activity of life. In the process, God's divine therapy takes place inside of us to help us cope with life better, rejuvenates us, and sends us back into life in a more centered and stable way. 
Spiritual pioneers such as Thomas Merton and more recently Richard Rohr promote the importance of contemplative prayer to allow God to purify our, our motivations so that we are able to do God's will with less ego in play, handle the challenges better, learn to see and accept those that don't think and believe as we do. From this disposition, we become better servants of God in action in the world. This is completely in sync with the mission of Vox Vignette. We want to serve our siblings in need, promote equality, live the gospel that Jesus taught, but to do so from a place of centered love, allowing us a better chance not to become depleted or burned out. Spiritual teacher Adam Bucko describes this much better than me. He says, given today's crises the world over, we can no longer afford to hide all of the contemplatives in monasteries. We need to reunite contemplation and action. We need spiritual activists and indeed spiritual warriors on the streets of our cities and in all of our professions and institutions who can reinvent them with spiritual values and see every person in need, every structural imbalance, every cry, including the cry of the earth as a call to be answered. This practice has changed my life dramatically. I wouldn't even have this Christian journey without it. I've, I've, I've had relationships restored that I never thought possible. But don't take my word for it. Try it on yourself. My kids have said I've actually been a lot more fun to be around. I've, I don't know what that means yet, working on that. So on November 13th, my wife Anna and I, as Kathleen told you, will be offering an introduction to Centering Prayer Workshop here at Vesper. So if you're considering uh, learning this life-giving practice, please come. If you've already learned Centering Prayer and maybe your practice has gotten rusty or fallen off, or even if you're a daily practitioner of Centering Prayer, come and be with us because practicing Centering Prayer in community is so important. The link's on the website. So let me close up our time this morning with this wonderful poem by spiritual writer Edwina Gately. And she writes this as she describes what centering prayer is for her. When I stopped waiting and only sat, breathing gently, steadily, lost simply in the flow of air, ah, then you tumbled, God, like an avalanche fast falling within me, gathering self-energized force, unexpected, unrequested, but suffusing and possessing all, leaving me stunned, stilled, and deeply grateful. Amen.